Well, hello, podcasters. After Australia's traditional Christmas holiday break, we are back for another year of Travel Daily News on the Fly. Are we rested? Well, probably very much like the rest of the industry, not particularly. But we press on because, as they say in the classics, things can only get better. From Travel Daily, I'm Bruce Piper. And I'm Anna Piper. And this is News on the Fly. When we released our last podcast episode in December, things were starting to look up for the travel industry. Domestic borders were coming down, there was cautious optimism about a rapid vaccine rollout, and consumer confidence was really starting to rise. But six weeks on, things look pretty different. Bruce, can you give us a rundown of how you see the state of play at the moment? Yeah, look, you know, before Christmas... Things were looking pretty good, but then just before the festive season, we had these outbreaks in Sydney's northern beaches. There was also a case in Brisbane and, of course, you know, predictable reactions, perhaps overreactions from some state premiers. Uh, in New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian did shut down the northern beaches, but interestingly, not the whole state, not the whole city. There was a snap three-day strict lockdown in Brisbane and Of course, Victoria then slammed on this fairly arbitrary traffic light system, reintroduced border changes. Apparently, the uh, Victorian border between New South Wales and Victoria has been up and down 21 times uh, since all this, this started. But most significantly, what really hit confidence was that these restrictions were put on people who were already on holidays. People... So people from Victoria who happened to be in Brisbane had to get home urgently or get stuck having to quarantine, vice versa, similarly people from Queensland who who are in New South Wales. And so it just created this uh, new impact where people who were already travelling were impacted. So so real massive hit to consumer confidence. Mm. And I think when we spoke last, the industry had also just started lodging applications for the government's highly anticipated $128 million travel support program. What's happened with that? Yeah, look, again, you'd have to say it's been a bit of a nightmare. You know, like any bureaucratic process, there's a complicated act application process. And, you know, there was some complaints about that. But, you know, in the end, travel agents are quite good at doing paperwork. But there have been a number of glitches. And I think we talked about it in our last podcast just before Christmas, uh, centering around this G1 figure on business activity statements. On a bass, it actually does say that that's total sales. It's basically a statistical collection, so nobody's ever really taken that much notice of it. You know, some uh, disagreement between accountants about what the right figure is to put in there. Apparently, it's supposed to be actual business revenue, but in the case of most agents selling international travel, it's just a data collection because there's no GST payable. So some have been putting in their TTV, i.e. their gross sales. Others have put in their net revenue, like their commission income, and still others have put in nothing at all because it really didn't matter that much. And so why does that matter now? Why did the government choose that particular figure? Well, this is all done under the previous tourism minister, Simon Birmingham, who's now been replaced by Dan Tien. And I think there's been lots of finger pointing, and I think there still will be lots of finger pointing. Um, Initially, after CEO Darren Rudd said, you know, basically everyone should just suck it up and be adults. Uh, But then just before Christmas, AFTA did put out a revised statement uh, where they admitted that there were deep flaws in the program. I think that this G1 thing was done to speed up the rollout and to the government's credit, you know, they did put it into action very, very fast. Uh, but also that G1 figure was used to the, for the modelling that figured out how the $128 million would be allocated. Of course, major disparities have emerged. We wrote about three examples of a $4.5 million agency, you know, a typical uh, suburban agency with that much in sales, but a 10% commission that would equate to about 450000 in revenue for the business. 
If they reported that 4.5 million in G1, they got $100,000. If they reported 450,000, they got about 11,000. And if they reported nothing, well, they're not eligible at all. Huh. So is there any outcome, any move to change it? Well, there's been a lot of talk, but uh, no action at this stage. There is an appeal process under the grants program, and everyone who missed out on the big bucks, I think, is about to be urged to re-lodge on the basis that their G1 figure could be amended. Does look as of today like only about half the money has been distributed. Um, There's still a thousand applications underway. And I think that what the government will do is any leftover money from the scheme will be allocated to, um, you know, people who sort of get a revised application in as soon as they can. But there was also a loophole that saw a bunch of people who lodged amended returns um, so they could get the maximum amount. That was rapidly closed on the 4th of January. I'm betting as soon as the bureaucrats got back from holidays and saw a whole lot of these $100,000 claims based on amended G1 figures. So my concern is that the money isn't going to go that far. Next week, the cruise industry was set to celebrate a major milestone with the launch of a domestic program in New Zealand operated by Ponant. But that's all ended in tears too. What's the story there, Bruce? Look, this is an absolute disgrace. It's just a travesty. removes any confidence that businesses would have to operate in New Zealand at all. The ship left Jakarta, uh, where it was sort of waiting in limbo like all cruise ships around the world, in mid-December, having jumped through all of the all sorts of hoops and finally getting approval from the New Zealand Ministry of Health, you know, for protocols. Look, there's there's 90 crew on board. It was only going to carry 100 passengers on seven cruises. Only Kiwi passengers, this highly orchestrated, huge amount of work by Ponant to do it. They set sail, and then part of it was that they needed to apply for visas for the 90 crew on board to be able to enter New Zealand. Um, you'd think fairly straightforward. Anyway, after steaming all the way, having tests all the way, you know, with assurances that it's all going ahead, visas were suddenly, at the very last minute, denied for 61 of the crew. So on what basis did they knock these visas back? Well, it's, you know, paper shuffling between departments. The Ministry of Health approved it, but the visas are not their department. They're um, under the Immigration Department. And in their wisdom, the officials decided that those 61 crew are doing jobs that Kiwis could do. You know, the Minister Farfoy, for Minister for Immigration, talked about bartenders, hairdressers, masseuses, you know, didn't make any any recognition of the fact that, of course, crew on a cruise ship are multitasked and also trained in safety. Anyway, so initially turned turned back and threatened with arrest if they entered New Zealand waters. So the ship was low on fuel, headed off to New Caledonia. And in the meantime, Ponant undertook a massive recruitment campaign in New Zealand, advertised these 61 roles um, to try to solve the problem. Apparently, they got six applications for those jobs, and only one of them was from someone who was actually qualified. So the justification was that, oh, we're protecting Kiwi jobs. I think it's a load of garbage, and it's just such a terrible uh, signal to any international business that wants to operate in New Zealand. But you've got to also understand the mentality of the Kiwis. Um, Jacinda Ardern was elected on a platform in the middle of COVID where she's, you know, sort of kept the country safe. And definitely on social media, um, there's even been posts about the 29 visas that were granted for people like the ship's uh, technical crew, engineers, etc., saying, you know, well, how hard is it to drive a cruise ship? Surely the Kiwis could be offered those jobs as well. Just a complete ignorance. Wow. So what's going to happen now? 
Yeah, well, as I said, it's absolutely rocked the confidence of any tourism operator, not just cruise companies, to deal with New Zealand. And look, um, it's interesting to note that Island Escape Cruises, a New Zealand-based cruise line with a brand new ship launching, well, they're now going to start to operate in Australia rather than New Zealand. They've announced a barrier reef season rather than making their debut in Kiwi waters. I think it's also been really interesting and unfortunate there's been no comment at all from Claire about this issue. Ponnet is a Clear member, this obviously has implications for the entire cruise sector. Surely they could have put something. I think it's also really an unfortunate signal to the Australian government, in contrast to what would have been such a great thing to be able to show a positive cruise restart in New Zealand. That would have really paved the way for uh, an Australian season. And I've had some people contacting me saying that they expect this could mean that there's no Kimberley season in Australia and that these small ship cruises, even the ones that have been announced and are being rapidly sold, may not proceed. Surely that can't be true, but I think it is terrible and a real indication of the fortress mentality that you know we're all suffering from. In my opinion, I think it could also really put paid to any expectations of a New Zealand travel bubble. The first issue of Travel Bulletin for the year is here, and it's a great read. Authorities around the world have pinned their hopes on vaccines to return life to normal. But vaccines raise many questions. Will they be compulsory? Are all vaccines equally effective? And will the anti-vax movement mean too many are hesitant to get the jab to create herd immunity? Can vaccines return travel and tourism to normal? Visit travelbulletin.com.au to read more in the February issue of Travel Bulletin. So Bruce, what is the latest on JobKeeper? With the rapidly evolving situation, there's been a lot of talk about the extension of JobKeeper payments for the travel and tourism sector. What do you think the chances of that happening are? Um, Look, it's just about six weeks until the end of JobKeeper on the 28th of March. And of course, everyone in the industry knows it's been an absolute lifeline. As you know, JobKeeper pays out um, a proportion of people's wages for any business that's had a 30% downturn. And as we know, that travel and tourism and all the suppliers like us are down way more than that with little hope of recovery till international borders open. But the rhetoric from the government has been repeatedly that an extension of JobKeeper is very unlikely. I've written to politicians, and I know many other people in the industry have, I've suggested that it could continue Um, I think rather than singling out travel and tourism, it should be for any business that can demonstrate, say, a 70% downturn. Of course, that would cover people in travel and tourism, but it would also mean that it wouldn't cost so much because um, it's not really covering the rest of the economy, which is in recovery. But there has been a lot of media coverage over the last few days about the plight of the industry. Do you think that will have any effect? Look, I really hope so. Parliament's back on and there have been a number of speeches in favour of the industry. But the rhetoric so far from the Minister and even today there was a statement, you know, highlighting JobKeeper's been great and we've given $128 million to the to the industry and, you know, just be thankful. I'm also really concerned about some of the figures that have been used to back all of the media coverage. Look, of course, journalists want something sensational to write about, but what's really garnered a lot of the mainstream coverage has been this survey claiming that 90% of businesses in the travel industry will close on the 1st of April and put 30,000 people on the dole queue. Look, I think many more jobs than that have already been lost across the the sector. But I think also putting out the message that just 10% of the industry is going to be here in eight weeks' time is very, very bad for consumer confidence. I've had uh, readers contact us saying that they've got clients with huge bookings come in and say, look, you know, should we cancel those so that we can rebook them direct with suppliers because you, our travel agent, aren't going to be around. 
I think it's a pretty short-sighted thing. Look, of course, an extension to JobKeeper would be great and we're all pushing for it. But I also think anything that we get that isn't actually enabling us to trade properly is only a Band-Aid. The longer-term impact on consumer confidence, not to mention suppliers, relationships with banks, um, it's going to be massive. Can you imagine trying to get a loan to start up a travel business? The banks would just laugh in your face with these sort of figures being banded about. Well, it's all sounding pretty rough. So is there any good news at all? Look, I'm sorry to have been hitting you with all the doom and gloom. Of course there is good news. We have a vaccine. We have multiple vaccines. The rollout is underway. There is a plan. And all we really want is to be able to trade. And the government does know that. If, as has been promised by the government, by the end of March, 4 million Australians have been vaccinated, that is really going to significantly reduce the risk to vulnerable populations. Um, In the UK, they're saying that that first tranche of vaccinations will cover the parts of the population that have comprised 99% of the deaths. But unfortunately, I just can't see the government making any decisions about border reopenings, restart of cruising, etc, etc, flights, etc, until they have confidence that it is working. Having said that, you know, with the rapid deployment in the UK and the Europe and the USA, you know, we're able to see what's going to happen. There's going to be evidence of those declines in infection rates very soon. And that means that there definitely will be some good news. I know it's so hard for the industry to keep pushing forward, but for everyone's mental health, we've just got to concentrate on the good things. We are safe. We're well fed. We've got a roof over our head. This pandemic hit the industry overnight and the recovery with the vaccine is likely to start overnight too. So chin up, everyone. Mm, Chin up indeed. Well, thanks everyone for listening and for joining us back for our first podcast of 2021. We will be back next week to catch you up on all the latest travel industry news. So subscribe so that you don't miss out. See you next week for more news on the fly.